Good evening, Nehoma, and welcome one and all to the fourth egotistical podcast. I'm your resident egotist, Tony LaRocca. The idea behind the egotistical podcast is that I want to listen to you and learn something about you or your favorite subject or film or philosophical belief. Whatever it is, I want to learn about it from you. My guest today is fellow author Brian Hartman. We're going to talk about writing styles and techniques, and then Brian is going to read an excerpt from one of his excellent short stories. This is something that I'd like to do more of in the future with authors, directors, actors, etc. I do have to warn you, however, that his reading does contain some explicit language. So, with no further ado, hello, Brian. Hey, how you doing, Tony? Alrighty. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, as always, why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay, so I'm a aspiring writer. Well, I don't know the difference between inspiring and actual. I mean, I write. Sometimes people pay me. And I live in Lawrence Township, New Jersey. I'm about 50 years old. I've probably been writing since my teens. Only seriously for like the past 10 years or so since I discovered Kindle. I write a lot of stories about Dave Riggler. He's a handicapped male. I've written a couple books, Dave Riggler stories, and my most recent one would be Pledges, which is another collection of short stories. Now, I've noticed that you predominantly write excellent slice-of-life short fiction. Do you ever see yourself writing something longer, like a novel? Actually, the thing I'm working on right now, the concept is a mosaic novel. It's a collection of stories that are intertwined. I've been toying with the idea of a longer novel, but I haven't really thought of anything yet. But that might come. There's a couple of things, like The Fight, which is my story about camp. That might make it to a longer novel. It's sort of a catch in the rye for, like, a handicapped boy. That's the closest thing I would think of to a novel for Dave Riggler so far, unless I can think of another idea. You mentioned that you started in your teens. Was there any defining moment that made you want to become a writer? When I was young, I used to stay up late reading Ray Bradbury by flashlight, which is probably why, 40 years later, I needed LASIK. Was there anything you loved as a kid that you felt you wanted to emulate, or perhaps, dare I say it, even improve upon? There wasn't anything that I read that I thought I could improve on. I used to write, when I was really young, like 14, there was this girl, and I wrote something for her. And that's how the trouble usually starts. Yeah, and it didn't go the way I hoped it would, but she said that someday you should become a published writer. And she is long gone from my life, but that kind of stuck with me. I understand how you feel. Like I said, you write slice-of-life literature that obviously comes from a place of experience and a place in your heart. Now, myself, and this is true of a lot of other sci-fi and fantasy writers, we usually start out by writing fan fiction— As a teenager, I wrote more than a few bad Star Trek and Doctor Who novels that can't ever be sold anyway. So is there anything like that for you, an existing fictional universe where you started your writing? I can tell you that my writing style probably comes most from J.D. Salinger. When I was about 12, I went on a cross-country trip with my parents. What happened was I flew out to Wyoming to meet them, and then we, we drove back, which is kind of a long story. So on the way back, I had my head buried in Catcher in the Rye, and I actually missed, I think it was Idaho? Yeah, I missed the entire state of Idaho because I was reading. 
so that writing style kind of stuck with me. Well, you beat me to the punch there, because I was going to ask who your top three influences are. Salinger is your number one, I assume. Yeah, I would say probably Salinger, Hubert Selby Jr., who wrote The Room and uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn. And let me think if there's a third. I, I mean, I guess Frank Herbert. My inner monologue probably comes from Frank Herbert. I kind of took up that style. Oh, and I love Dune, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the movie. Yeah, I'm very curious about it. With trepidation, let me put it that way. Me too. It's one of those bizarre things. I am usually very, very much a purist with rampant, arrogant nerd syndrome when it comes to movie adaptations of books I love. But for some reason, even though it's every which way but up in its own bizarre directions, I just love the 80s David Lynch Dune film alongside my love for the novel. You may feel differently. I like the 80s movie. The only thing I don't like is I think that the voiceover is a bit much. I, I think that they should have found a better way to do that. Oh, and the downpour of rain Lynch added at the end. Yeah. To me, Paul Atreides was not really supposed to be a messiah, and I think that there was too much supernatural at the end. Yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do with it, too. I know it's considered evil to say these days, but I'm not a fan of the major changes they made to one of the characters. But at least they're going to split it up into two parts. Well, I, I hope so. It's way too much to cram into one. I agree. All right, well, enough free plugging for that movie. Mm -hmm. Actually, going back to our conversation about writing, I would say that my main influences are, well, I already said that when I was younger, I devoured everything that Ray Bradbury wrote. But he is one of the elder gods of science fiction, and I don't think anyone can blame me. Yes. And then I moved on to Stephen King, along with just about every other teen in the 80s. But now as an adult, I would say that my major influence is Clive Barker. His creativity, emotional intelligence, depth of characters, elegant style, and ability to make it all seem real are just unparalleled in my humble opinion. And of course, there's more than a few honorable mentions. Now, I know that you're in a writer's group, which is something that I've never tried, so please tell us about it. Is it something that you enjoy? Is it something that you feel has helped you? Lay those pros and cons on me. I think the biggest pro of being in a writer's group is you get feedback from other people that are writing. Because it's different giving your stuff to your friends than it is giving it to other writers, even sometimes if other writers are your friends. I think that the biggest downside is when you're interacting with other writers, sometimes you get different styles that clash. And sometimes it's hard for people to separate a stylistic issue with something that's actually wrong with the piece. Sometimes people just have ways that they like to do things. And sometimes those critiques aren't as helpful when they're about style. Yeah, I know what you mean. I took a college creative writing course once. Part of the course was critiquing other classmates' work, and there were one or two that I thought were technically well-written, but they just weren't my cup of tea. But since our teacher decreed that I had to critique them on something, I had to make stuff up. That's the issue I think I'd have with writers' groups. I might come up with something that I would do differently, but that's more stylistic. So I'd have to come up with a criticism even if I didn't feel it was warranted, or I wouldn't be seen as participating. And I wonder if that's even helpful. Right. So speaking of different styles, why don't you tell us about your writing process? Because mine is very haphazard. 
I usually write different scenes that just seem to write themselves, and then afterwards I try to look at them as a whole and ask myself, how the hell does this come together? Then I might make character sketches and examine their motivations and try to plot out the rest of the book, but that's the chaotic way my brain works. So, what's your process, and is it hopefully something more sane and linear? So usually what happens is a lot of my stuff is autobiographical. So I'll start with something that happened to me. And I'll think of the people that were involved in that. And then I will mold the whole thing around a fictionalized version of that with dialogue that's pretty much entirely made up. My process is usually very linear. Once in a while, I'll write in a nonlinear way, but usually it's from beginning to end, which gets frustrating sometimes. Sometimes I know how things end but I don't know how to get there. But usually it's linear and I might have one or two lines of dialogue in that act as sort of like guideposts of where I'm going, but it's usually just a linear process and I have to figure out ways to connect different things in my head, different pieces of dialogue usually. Hmm, groovy. Do you have a certain routine, a usual time or place that you write or ritual that you keep, satanic or otherwise? Well, I don't have a set schedule. It's usually just when things hit me. I always write in my bedroom. That's where my computer is. So that's my main place. I have a little notebook that I carry around with me that I might like jot down little pieces of dialogue here or there. But usually it's there in my room. And it's generally late at night because that's when I start thinking about stuff. Because you have your stuff you have to do during the day and your work. And I have to get all that stuff out of my head to actually get to the writing. So that's usually what happens. Okay, then. What would you say is the greatest obstacle to your writing? I guess the greatest obstacle to it would just be the starting. Because sometimes I'll have stuff in my head and I just, I can't figure out a way to start it. Once I get it started, it's usually fine. But sometimes it's hard to figure out where to start and what's the inciting incident to go to the place I need to go to. I always know where I want to go. It's just how do I get there? Well, that's great, because quite often I have no idea where I'm going. I can go in full steam and then write myself into quarters. And then I have to step back and try to write some sort of overreaching plot. Usually it all works out, but I think it's wonderful that you know where you're going and where your end goal is. Yeah, at least keeps me motivated because I know what I want to do and what I want to say. I just have a hard time getting there sometimes. Uh, Believe me, I understand. So, is there anything in particular that you're working on these days? Well, right now, I'm trying to finish up my book long-distance dedications. There's probably one more story that I have to finish up there. It's the penultimate story. I've been working on this thing for literally a decade. I started it just after my 40th birthday, and now my 50th birthday is like six months behind me, so... Yeah, it's been a while, and this particular story has been with me for at least five years. Oh, I completely rock where you're coming from. A lot of my books and short stories were reworked from earlier versions that didn't pan out. For me, it seems to need to be the right time for everything to just click. Yeah, it's one of those things, I don't know who said it, but I have a hard time with letting go. I'm sure you know how it is. Sometimes you just have to say, screw it, it's done. Otherwise, you'll obsess over it. Yep, I know that song. So then, what's your editing process like? I hesitate to call it a process, actually. (laughs) Because it's just basically rereading. I mean, rereading and rereading and rereading, and 
that's usually what I use my critique groups for is just to keep keep feeding them back the story sometimes three or four times over the years just to see if there's anything else that somebody can catch basically just keep refining it and refining it and refining it because I, I really need the feedback which is what the groups are good for Oh, you know what I found works for me with editing is that I'll play the document in an e-reader on my phone, which reads my writing back to me in a speak-and-spell voice while I simultaneously read the text with my eyes. Yeah, yeah. That way I catch the things that my eyes alone might gloss over, like homonyms, or missing punctuation, or even missing words. I call the process scouring, because I do it over and over until I can't find any errors anymore. Then I say a novena for any English teachers who ever had to check my work. The great thing, too, is there are lots of online programs out there to help editing. Edit Minion was my favorite. That was an online bot that would catch a lot of sins like adverbs and passive voice that have become absolutely gauche ever since Stephen King's On Writing was declared to be the ultimate editing bible. Sadly, it's gone now, so I have to find a replacement, but there are others out there. There's also a great MS Word script that catches missing quotation marks, which was always my particular nemesis. But there are a lot of free and paid programs out there. It just takes a little goo-goo-foo to find them. Do you find yourself writing and editing at the same time? You're writing, and then you say, oh no, I use the passive voice, or good gravy, I've used that phrase five times in the last paragraph. Things like that? Or do you just let yourself get it all out in the first draft and then fall back to edit later? Yeah, I think that that's kind of why I was hesitating on the editing process question, because it's sort of such a ingrained part of how I write. I mean, sometimes I'll sit there for a half an hour on how to finish a sentence. So, you know, they always say to just get it down first and then you can edit later. I'm just not like that. I have to obsess over every line as it goes down. I'm not the most observant person sometimes, so I miss things, but that's basically what I do is I edit as I go, which makes things take a lot longer, obviously. (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty sure that's how Vonnegut said he wrote, so you're in great company. You know what? I'm definitely declaring him as a fourth strong influence on my writing. It's my podcast, and I'm allowed. But that was his process, if I remember, to meticulously go over every single sentence and phrase as he wrote. I have tried the thing that you said about the computer reading it back, but the problem that I run into is with my diction and my colloquialisms and stuff, the way that my characters speak, it's really sometimes painful to listen to the computer try to read it back. It messes it up in ways that aren't helpful, you know? Yes, computers are wonderful things, but they are just no good at local color. Yeah, yeah. All righty, well... Thank you very much for all your insights, and now I understand that you've prepared a passage from one of your short stories to read to us. Yes. Because I've asked you to. Yes. And you've also been kind enough to ask me to do the voices other than Dave, which I'm very happy to oblige. Yeah, there's Ivan, Jeff, and Carrie. Groovy, Carrie. Well, as long as my kids don't pour any pig's blood on me, I'll be fine. (laughs) Okay. So why don't we start with you setting up the story? Tell us a little about it. Sure. So this is an excerpt from Unspoken, which is a short story that is in Pledges. I think it's the last story in Pledges. And uh, this excerpt comes from the beginning of the story. The, The story is in two parts. One part is set in the 1990s and the other part is set in the early 2000s. And this part is basically Dave in college. 
And again, I just have to add that there is some strong language in this segment, but hey, we're all adults here. So why don't we get started? Dave picked up the exacto knife on his desk. He gripped it, pushing the switch up about an inch, surveying the blade. It was rectangular, sharp at both ends, but blunt at the top. Not quite as menacing as the butterfly knife Joe carries, but it'll have to do. Another knock on his door. He opened it. Ivan. Hey. He ran his hand back through his hair. Can I come in? Dave nodded. Sure, come on in. He gripped the blade tightly as he rolled back from the doorway. Ivan motioned to the knife. What's that for? Got an art class this semester? Dave inspected the knife again, turning it in his hand, speaking slowly. Nah, nah, man. Just a utility knife, you know, for opening things. He looked at Ivan, then his eyes went back to the blade. Like your jugular, you fucking asshole. Ivan glanced toward the computer. Huh. That's cool, man. Dave didn't respond, still inspecting the knife. Hey, I got a question. Huh? Oh, sure, what's up? Dave pointed casually towards Ivan with the blade, not looking at him. You know more about this IRC stuff than I do. How do you write a private chat with somebody? Why don't you go fuck yourself and we'll see how that goes, huh? Dave sighed, taking his eyes off the knife, looking at Ivan. Jesus, do you even read the man page? Forward slash DCC chat, then the nickname. Ah, yeah, that's right. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, Diablo. Ivan smiled and Dave's arm tensed up, gripping the knife harder. I should tell him I know, the smug little bastard. Ivan walked over to the desk, looking at the floppies, facing away from Dave. I've got to get myself a computer. Waiting for a free seat in the computer lab is getting old. Dave studied the back of Ivan's neck, pushing the blade on the knife one notch up. Yeah, comes in handy. Hey man, thanks a lot for the help with the computer stuff. I appreciate it, really. Yeah, no problem. Dave paused. Listen, though, I gotta kick you out. Friday's my morning class, and I gotta get some sleep. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Dave nodded. You bet. Ivan walked out the door, and Dave shut it behind him. Dave exhaled. Jesus, how do I keep this up, acting like nothing's wrong? He looked around the room. I've got to get some air. The knife had a clip on one end, so he retracted the blade and clipped it to the neck of his shirt. He rolled out the door of his dorm, locked it behind him, and headed out of the building. Just outside the sliding double doors, Jeff was smoking a cigarette. He was wearing a white REM t-shirt with the cover from Document on the front. The cover was mostly black and white, muted to a white and gray. A guy was standing behind a pile of junk, adjusting something on top. It looked like some kind of post-apocalyptic wasteland. A loose cluster of crushed butts lay at Jeff's feet. Dave nodded. Hey, man. Jeff took a drag of his cigarette and nodded back. Hey. Dave gestured with his head toward the cigarette. You know, that shit'll kill you. Jeff looked at it. Yeah, I know. I gotta quit. Believe me, everybody bugs me about it. Courtney, my parents, Eliza... He puffed again. Everybody. He shrugged. How is she? Huh? Liza. He paused. I mean, I haven't seen her in a couple of days. About a week, I guess. Jeff stared at him for a second, taking another drag. She's fine, I mean... He nodded. Yeah, she's fine. Had lunch with her today. That's good. Jeff exhaled the smoke into a ring, watching it float up through the air. Yeah. Dave stared out into the parking lot. 
It's the end of the world as we know it. Huh? What the hell's that? Dave gestured to Jeff's chest. The t-shirt. He smiled awkwardly. That's the only song I know of. It, sorry. Ah. Uh. Jeff looked down at his shirt. Yeah. Jeff took another puff, the smoke drifting from his mouth as he spoke. Well, I gotta go in. He flicked the cigarette to the ground, extinguishing it with his sneaker. Psychology test tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Jeff nodded. Yeah, you too. Dave rolled a little farther from the door so he could see the sky. There was a lot less light from New York than from where he lived at home, and he could see hundreds of stars. He took the knife off of his shirt, flicking the blade up one notch, then down again. Up again, then down again. He looked up into the bejeweled blackness. The end of the world as we know it. He rolled back to the dorm. As he rolled through the lobby, Carrie was taking a drink from the water fountain. Her back was to him, but he could recognize her from the curve of her hip, the back of her neck, and her raven black hair. She finished, turned, and smiled at him. Hey, Dave. Hey, hon. He forced his mouth into a thin smile. What's wrong? You look P.O.'d. Dave had only heard Carrie curse once in almost two years of knowing her. She did this thing where she'd walk right up to the edge of a slight obscenity, peer over the edge, and lean back. Nah, I'm fine. What are you up to tonight? Going out with Derek? She shook her head. Nah. She pointed to her A.E. Pie sweatshirt. I've got a mixer to go to. Dave nodded, but a rock formed in the pit of his stomach. She was going to spend the night around drunken fat boys with lots of liquor. His thoughts went back to Ivan and Liza. If anything happens to Carrie... He plucked the exacto knife off of his collar. Here, take this. She smiled. Why? I don't have any art classes. It's not for that. It's just because, well, because I worry. His gaze dropped from her pale blue eyes to the floor. I don't want anything to, to happen. I'm fine, Dave. I've got all the sisters around me. Andre and Jessica wouldn't let anything happen. Dave nodded. It's not them I don't trust. Carrie put her hand on his shoulder. Would it make you feel better if I took the knife? Yeah, yeah, it would. He felt the tension easing in his shoulder where she touched it. Carrie held out her other hand. She gave him that smile, the smile that melted everything away, that made him think that maybe, just maybe, there was a divine presence in this world, despite shitheads like Diablo. Dave looked into those porcelain blue eyes, breathed, and decided. He bowed his head and placed the knife into her hand, solemnly, as if offering it up to the gods. Wow, that's powerful, honest stuff. Thanks, man. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. But the real question is, where can readers find your work? Do you have your own site, or should they just search for you on Amazon? Yeah, the best way to do it is to, is to search me on Amazon. Just put in Brian Hartman. There's a couple of other Brian Hartmans, but basically anything with Dave Riegler, you're going to find it. So yeah, just put in Brian Hartman. Yeah, it's like a few people have asked me, why don't you have a Patreon or a sponsor for your podcast? And I told them, just go to my website or Amazon, and for every two ninety nine you donate, you get a free ebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been working on a website. It's still sort of in production now, so I don't want to send people there right now. Well, you'll get it online in time. It's so much work when you do everything yourself. I also wanted to add that we were discussing before what it means to be a professional writer, especially in the digital age. 
but you've written and put your work out there, and people have bought it and read it, so in my book, you're a hell of a professional writer. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think the same of you. It's hard to look at yourself and consider yourself a professional writer, just because you know it always sort of feels like a hobby until you get paid, and the pay is sort of sporadic. So... (laughs) I agree. But you know what makes me feel good is that it's out there. And then if anything ever happens to me, it's always going to be out there, either in a library or online or on someone's shelf or their phone or their Kindle. It'll outlast us. And who knows, maybe years from now, some other kid will read our work in the middle of the night and get myopia and become inspired to themselves. Yeah, that's it's sort of the way I think about it. I don't have children. I don't expect to have children anytime soon. And this is sort of just my way of putting myself out there in the world in some semi-permanent kind of way. Well, the world is richer for it. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me here. Sure. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the fourth Egotistical Podcast. If you have a topic that's near and dear to your heart and you'd like to discuss it with me and the rest of the digital universe, please contact me at egotistpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, I did say that correctly. Or check out my website, www.egotisticalproductions.com. I'm Tony LaRocca, hoping you have a good morning, a good evening, and or a good night.